Hello and welcome to edition number 1925 of the Whitney Talking News that we're recording in the Methodist Building in Whitney on Thursday the 18th of August. I'm Peter Bean, I edited this edition and beside me at the recording controls is Rob Oxpring. Now this week we've got stories from Church Enston, Whitney, Haythrop, Cropperty and many more places in the regions that we cover. And the stories that we're covering are about the heat wave, Cropperty Festival, new arrivals at Cosville Wildlife Park and many more. Now our four readers this evening are Nigel James, Anne Trelaw, Gavin Smalley and Bridget Walton. And a little later on, Mike Franklin will be joining us to read a couple of Nigel's stories and we'll introduce him when he arrives. So, Nigel, let's begin with story about <laughs> the fuel poverty. Fuel poverty, that's right. <laughs> and it's headed, Alarm over rising levels of people facing fuel poverty. As energy prices soar, the number of households in fuel poverty in West Oxfordshire will go up at least 18% in October, according to a campaign group. The End Fuel Poverty Coalition, made up of more than 60 anti-poverty environmental and health campaigners, local authorities, trade unions and consumer organisations, including Oxford City Council, calculated how many households would be pushed into fuel poverty in each year. Simon Francis, its coordinator, said in 2020 it was 3,400 in West Oxfordshire, 7.3%, using the government's own figures. We predict that the number from October the 1st will be at least 8,317.8%. But, he added, this forecast was calculated at the start of the summer, using a price cap number well below what is now being predicted. We will be updating all uh, regional statistics once Ofgen confirmed their price cap in August. But these figures are likely to be very much an understatement. In general, a household is in fuel poverty if, once they've paid their energy bills, they're left with a residual income below the official poverty line. Predictions of rising prices have become more dire because the price of gas and electricity on the wholesale market keeps going up. The worst yet came from experts at energy consultancy Oxilone, who predicted that the price cap on energy bills could reach £3,600 in October from £1,900 today. It could then rise again to £4,500 in January and peak at £5,200 in April. Judy Anders of Citizens Advice West Oxford has said, More and more people are asking for energy advice, and many are needing extra support to buy food. This is so worrying, considering that we have not hit the cold months yet. She said, West Oxfordshire follows a similar pattern to what Citizens Advice staff are seeing across the country. Record numbers are seeking advice, people who need to rely on food banks people who need advice on their energy bills and people who just cannot afford to use energy at all. In each, citizens' advice either exceeded or is on course to exceed demand for the previous three years. By the end of June, it had already seen more people who said they could not afford to top up their prepayment meter than in 2019, 20 or 2021. 
Energy debts have replaced council tax arrears as the top debt issue for people needing help. However, it said it was very welcome that the government has put into place a £400 discount off everyone's bills and additional targeted support for people on the lowest income. Our next story about the heatwave is in two parts, which will be read first by Anne and then by Gavin. This article is headed, Heatwave Takes Its Toll on Agriculture and Fire Crews. Sweltering temperatures took their toll on agriculture and had the fire service attending up to four fires a day over the weekend. Now more extreme weather is on the way, with the potential for flash floods due to an alteration in the air pressure. The hot weather saw several field fires erupt across Oxfordshire, with Chipping Norton fire crews attending four fires on Saturday. They first attended a bonfire in Church and Stone, then several sheds on fire in Hook Norton, followed by two large field fires in Stowe and Drayton. An official drought was declared in Oxfordshire on Friday by the National Drought Group, NDG, which comprised representatives from the government, water companies, the Environment Agency and others. Thames Water is planning a hosepipe ban in the coming weeks. Ian Wilkinson, founder and director of Farm ED, a centre for farming and food education in Shipton under Witchwood, said farmers were having to take unprecedented steps as normal green pastures have dried up and winter feed is having to be used now. He said, the drought is a big problem for Oxfordshire's grassland farmers, as this supports our local beef, sheep and dairy cows. Recovery will come as the rain falls, but for many farmers it will be too late, and the price of winter feed is rising rapidly. A spokesman for the NFU agreed that the cereal harvest was not bad, and hay crop had been okay owing to localised rainfall in June. However, not all parts of West Oxfordshire had rain, she said. There are grave concerns amongst livestock farmers regarding the lack of grass growth and stunted growth of fodder crops used to feed animals through the winter. Dairy farmers are supplementary feeding and all livestock farmers are faced with using winter feed stocks early, pushing up production costs. Some farmers brought livestock in to provide shade during the extreme heat. I am told today by a farmer who is a hay supplier that horse owners are already ordering and feeding hay as there is no grass. Normally this wouldn't happen until mid or late October. Now even more extreme weather is on the way as a warning for thunderstorms has been issued for Oxfordshire. Dan Stroud, a meteorologist at the Met Office, said as, we, as, we've, had some high, as we've had some very high ground temperatures it doesn't actually take too much for the air to become even more unstable and for thundery showers to develop quickly. Bridget, you've got two short pieces of news. Yes. The first is headed, Conservative leadership contender Liz drops by. West Oxfordshire Conservative Association welcomed Tory leadership hopeful Liz Trust to Carterton. County Councillor Liam Walker, who represents Hanborough and Minster Lovell, tweeted last Thursday, 
This afternoon we welcomed Liz Truss to Carterton to meet with members of WOCA. Although I'm supporting Rishi Sunak in this contest, it was great to meet and hear from Liz. No matter who wins, we must unite behind our new leader and take the fight to Labour. Mr Walker and Ms Truss were pictured with Whitney MP Robert Courts. The new Conservative leader will be announced on September the 5th. And the second story. Spreading hay bale blaze. Firefighters tackled what they described as a significant fire in a stack of hay bales at Blackboughton near Carterton. The blaze broke out at Emwood Farm in the village at about 5pm on Saturday. Crews from Carterton Fire Station managed to control it before it spread to further fields and nearby farm buildings. Fires can occur when heat in wet hay reacts with dry hay. Following the incident, an intentional burn of 10 hay bales was carried out in a controlled manner. If you see these bales on fire, please don't be alarmed said the fire service. The headline for the next article is Churchill Hearse Restored to Used for New Funerals. The hearse used to carry Sir Winston Churchill to his final resting place is to be used for funerals again after restoration. The Austin Princess transported the wartime leader's body from Festival Pier in London to Waterloo Station through crowds of mourners at the state funeral in January 1965. The vehicle was being put to work again by Bristol Memorial Woodlands Funeral Directors and will be made available for the final journeys of people to a chapel and green burial ground at a nature reserve near Alveston. The former Prime Minister was born at Blenheim Palace and is buried at nearby Bladen. Christopher Baker, founder of the Memorial Woodlands, said... Churchill's funeral was a magnificent event that saw the largest gathering of world leaders during the 1960s. His body was conveyed on a gun carriage down the Thames on board the MV Haven Gore and then to a train named after his honour to Oxfordshire. The hearse was used for the short part of his final journey between the boat and train. The hearse was restored by Joe Burge of Classic Marine Engineers in Suffolk who said it was a comprehensive overhaul that took us three years as we wanted everything to stay as authentic as possible and source all the correct parts. It was an interesting project as the hearse bodywork was by Vanden Pla and so we had a vehicle that had steel bolt-on wings of the type used on some of the earliest vehicles, aluminium on the front doors and fibreglass at the back. We also found that some of the interior that looked like wood was, in fact, formica wood, um, and we had never worked restoring formica before. Ex-footballer will walk club to club. A former Oxford City footballer who is running out of options will set off on a 14-mile walk from Whitney to his old club to raise awareness of cancer. When he gets to Oxford, Duncan Barney who has pledged to spend whatever time he has left urging people to get health checks, will be greeted by players past and present and Oxford City Sporting Director Justin Merritt. 
Mr Barney, 63, and his wife Angie, who live in Whitney, want to raise money for Cancer Research UK and to fill the route with supporters. In the evening, there will be a bar meal and raffle in the clubhouse in Marston. He has been fighting cancer for three and a half years, although he was initially given just six months to live. He said, I've done lots and lots of chemo. It really isn't about my outcome now. I have decided to embrace it. It's become my obsession to raise awareness that early detection of health issues truly saves lives. I'm running out of options, but I have had the chance to deal with it, and so have my family. The last three years have been harder for my wife than for me. And whatever I've had, and whenever I've had an appointment or had anything done, I've worn the pink trainers my son sent me from the States. The walk on September the 30th will start as close to Whitney, Whitney's town, Old Marriott's Close Ground, now Marks and Spencer's, as possible, and end at the new Oxford City Grounds at Court Farm Marston. Mr Barney said, I have chosen this walk because I love playing for both clubs and most importantly, it's a safe walking route. Justin Merritt, the co-owner of Oxford City, has very kindly donated the use of the clubhouse for the evening. There will be food available on the night, a raffle and auction. It's our chance to give something back for all the incredible work my oncology team and our National Health Service have done in keeping me alive and to help others beat this horrible disease. He added, I realise 14 miles is quite a long walk, especially for me, but I wanted to challenge myself, so I am arranging a quick stop for refreshments at the Evenlode Ancient before walking on to Wolvercote roundabout. The walk will start at 11.30am and we are all allowing six hours to walk it with pit stops, so it will be a very relaxed walk. The walk has had more than 200 messages of support and has already nearly raised the target amount. To take part, see www.justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Duncan Barney. Revamped Cotswolds Hotel returns with 300 jobs on offer. One of the Cotswolds' smartest hotels is looking for more than 300 new team members as it prepares to open its doors this September. Haythrop Park in Enstone, which has, was brought by adult-only hotel group Warner Leisure Hotels in 2018, has undergone a £40 million refurbishment. Some 337 bedrooms, offering opulence mixed with modern amenities, have been created, plus chic lounges, bars and outdoor terraces, and a ballroom theatre. Three restaurants will offer live music and fine dining. The hotel spa with indoor pool will have a new thermal and sensory suite, and Warner will keep the existing 18-hole Bainbridge Championship course. Grade 2 listed Haythrop Park was built in the 1700s by Charles Talbot, and in 1922 was bought by the English Jesuits. In 1969, they moved their seminary to London, still called Haythrop College, and sold Haythrop Park to NatWest Bank for use as a training college and conference centre. 
In 2000, it was bought by Feroka Limited, a company owned by Feroz Kassam and family owner of the Kassam Football Stadium in Oxford for £15 million. The site underwent a £50 million rebuilding programme and was developed into a four-star Crown Plaza hotel with spa, 18-hole championship golf course and landscape gardens. Children can swim for £1 a session in cost-of-living crisis. Nine better leisure centres across Oxfordshire are offering under-16s the chance to swim for just £1 a session to help with the cost-of-living crisis. The Kids for a Quid initiative will enable youngsters to swim for the reduced rate between 9am and 10am every day during the summer holidays at Abbey Leisure Sports Centre Berinsfield, Carterton Leisure Centre, Chipping Norton Leisure Centre, Farringdon Leisure Centre, Henley Leisure Centre, Tame Leisure Centre, Wantridge Leisure Centre, White Horse Leisure Centre in Abingdon, and Wantage Leisure Centre. Oh, they get two mentions. The initiative will then move to weekend sessions after the start of the autumn school term. John Amal, Head of Service for Better Leisure Centres in Oxfordshire, said, Keeping children entertained during the long holiday period can be both challenging and expensive. That is particularly true this year when many families are really struggling in the face of an unprecedented cost-of-living crisis. We hope that this initiative will provide a low-cost, enjoyable activity that everyone can afford, while keeping youngsters active and engaged. For those wishing to do more than have fun in the pool, tuition for every level of swimmer, from complete beginner to the more experienced, is available through Better's Swim School. And now two more pieces of brief news. The first one is headed, Customers dismayed as Tesco shuts for revamp. News that a convenience store will be closed for three weeks has been met with dismay from shoppers. Tesco Express in Eddington Square in Whitney's Deer Park is closed for the rest of the month for a refit. The store provides service chiefly to the districts of Burwell, Kerbridge, Whitney, Deer Park, Minster Lovell, West Whitney and Smith's Estate. Customers to Whitney took to Whitney Spotted to share their disappointment. One said, roll on three weeks, we'll miss the staff there, looking forward to seeing them again and the new refurb shop. The store will be painted and upgraded. A Tesco spokesman said, we apologise for any inconvenience caused by the closure. <coughs> the second one is headed... Fire crew help with obese. Firefighters are going to more incidents to help severely obese people. Figures show that Home Office statistics show Oxfordshire firefighters attended 31 bariatric assists in 2021. Rescues can involve the removal of banisters, windows and walls. And the number of bariatric assists attended by firefighters in Oxfordshire was the highest on record in 77 percent of incidents. Firefighters spent up to an hour providing assistance. In 2012-13, the first year figures were recorded, there were just six occasions. Top cyclist aims to honour his kidney donor at Games. 
A kidney transplant patient is excited to get back to, on his bike for a major competition coming to Oxfordshire this week. Mike Oliver was diagnosed with the hereditary condition polycystic kidney disease, where cysts develop in the kidneys, and as they grow larger, the kidneys struggle to work properly until, eventually, they cannot function at all. In 2015, he received a kidney transplant after two years on the waiting list, and at the end of this month, he will complete be competing in the European Transplant and Dialysis Games taking place at Blenheim Palace. The event is similar to the Paralympic Games or Invictus Games and organisers anticipate more than 400 competitors attending this year. All transplant recipients or dialysis patients from over 25 countries across Europe it will be the first time in the UK it will be the first time the UK hosts the event and it represents an opportunity to promote the benefits of organ donation and life-saving impact of organ transplantation Mr Oliver 59 who lives in Whitney with his wife Jill said I've been a cyclist ever since I was 15 and it's a sport that I've always enjoyed I was a professional cyclist in the 80s and also took part in the Tour of Britain then. When I was diagnosed with kidney disease and had to go on dialysis, it was a big shock to the system. Mr Oliver's condition is what is known as a late-onset one, meaning it is likely you can go through life with no symptoms until you hit your 40s or 50s. The renal team at the Churchill Hospital in Oxford had been closely monitoring his health and were able to pinpoint when he would reach what is known as end-stage renal failure. Mr Oliver's father, Robert, and his aunt Elizabeth have both received kidney transplants and his family believe his grandmother may have had the same condition. He still said that competing in the Games in Oxford will be a way to celebrate and honour the transplant he was lucky to receive. Mr Oliver, who works as a retail analyst, said, After the transplant, I felt amazing and, and so different. You don't realise how sick you are and how unwell you are until you get your transplant. You are only deteriorating slightly hour by hour and day by day. We have a fantastic renal unit at the Churchill and I am so grateful for them and the way they took great care of me. Two or three months after the transplant I knew I wanted to do something to get back in shape, lose the weight and look after my transplant and I thought cycling would be the best way to do it. I had my bikes I used to train on so I knew I could do it. In June 2015, I started riding again, and I wanted to aim for something and give myself a target. He ended up taking part in the 2016 British Transplant Games for the first time, and since then he has been competing almost every year. This year he won gold in the cycling road race in Leeds. He said I was quite surprised given how little I had trained for it. I had Covid in March and took my time recovering from it as it affected me quite badly so I didn't do a lot of training. I think I was able to make up for it with a bit of experience. 
With the European Games coming to Oxfordshire, this was an opportunity I couldn't miss. It's going to be interesting, as the course is quite up and down, and I've never really been that good at going uphill. The competition is going to be very strong, and I've been training like mad for the past four weeks. It's an opportunity to say, look after your transplant, you can live a normal life, an active life. I received my transplant from a donor, and I don't know who that person was, but I feel it's important to honour their donation and make the most of it. The Games will start on Sunday with a parade through Oxford before the opening ceremony at the Sheldonian Theatre. Hosts turn up heat in Cropredy Return. Organisers of one of Oxfordshire's longest-running festivals have thanked their 15,000 audience members for braving the heat to make the event a success. Cropredy Festival, organised by the folk rock band Fairport Convention, attracted music lovers from around the world for three days of live music in scorching temperatures of up to 32 degrees C. The festival, officially Fairport's Cropredy Convention, has been running since 1980, when it was launched as a reunion for the band who had played a farewell in Cropredy near Banbury a year before. The gathering has taken place every year since, other than the past two years, which were cancelled due to the pandemic. The festival, which drew to a close on Saturday night, was a belated celebration of the 50th anniversary of the band's Full House album and the arrival in the lineup of bass player Dave Peggy Pegg. It featured sets by the Trevor Horn Band with guests Robert Fripp and Toya, Clanad, Steve Hackett of Genesis, Turin Brakes, Sharon, Shannon, Seth Lakeman, Edward II, Home Service, Rosalie Cunningham and Fairport Convention, who bookended the festival with an opening acoustic slot and a two and a half hour closing show. The festival also featured a solo set by Fairport founder Richard Thompson, widely regarded as one of the world's best guitarists. He joins the lineup about every three years and has a reputation for bringing rain. But a festival spokesperson said that was certainly not the case this year, which was very hot and dry. In fact, we were all rather hoping it would rain. She paid tribute to artists and fans, saying, It was a long, long wait to see these artists, but was totally worth it. They did us proud. And so did the audience, who showed up in blazing heat and ran onto the field like they normally do and jumped up to dance. The heat took its toll on revellers, with a number being retreated for its effects. The spokeswoman added, The number of heat-related incidents was high, but dealt with successfully by the on-site medical team and the Horton Hospital. Now our next story is being read by a new volunteer, Mike Franklin. Builder attacked with spirit level in site row. A building site argument descended into blows, a courtyard, a court heard. Sir Gabe Bowley claimed to have been struck to the ribs, shoulder and his hard hat by a spirit level 
wielding James Dennis following a dispute over the quality of work at the building site of Centenary Way, Whitney, on February the 25th last year. The defendant, 32-year-old Dennis, from East Witchell, Swindon, denied the allegation, claiming instead that the victim was the aggressor and there had been no weapon involved in the altercation. But the district judge, who subsequently heard he had a 2007 conviction for wounding with intent, found him guilty of causing actual bodily harm. Giving evidence in his own defence, Dennis claimed Mr Voley, who was running his own gang on the site, turned on him when he asked the taller man to stop talking to people like that after being sworn at and told to raise those explosive deleted lids, drain covers. The defendant claimed his opponent was used used a racial slur and gripped him by the collar before Dennis pushed him backwards, sending him toppling into a pallet of breeze blocks. It was this that had caused a large bruise to his ribs and bruising to his shoulder, it was suggested. Mr Voley scoffed at the suggestion put to him by Dennis's advocate, Sally Thompson, that he used the racial slur. It's funny because it's a a made-up story, he said. He also denied the allegations that he had been stressed because of the need to finish preparatory works ahead of asphalt being laid the following day. He said he had tried to wrestle the spirit level he claimed was used to hit him from Dennis, Dennis's colleague, but was unable to get the item. Mr Voley conceded the attempt to secure the alleged weapon was not included in his statement to the police. Putting her client's, client's case to the victim, Miss Thompson said, You lost your temper, grabbed him round the throat, he pushed you away, and you fell against a pallet of blocks. No, he replied. At one point during the cross-examination, he was warned by the district judge to, the, to treat the defence advocate with more respect. That prompted Miss Thompson's closing submission to the judge. We are in a court of law with presiding, with you presiding. We are not on a building site with someone who's in charge of us. Dennis told the court that he had arrived at the site on the Monday as part of a three-man team, but their digger driver quit on the first day. Anxious not to lose his job, they offered to help out on the site and were all allocated to Mr Volo's team. He claimed Mr Volo was stressed at having to redo driveways that had been put in incorrectly twice already, although the victim denied it. He kicked out a line of edgings Dennis had put in, then told him to raise drainage covers. Dennis said he had seen the other man trying to rake concrete using a tool that had about four teeth left in it. As he's raking it, nothing really happening, he said. I could see his head getting pickled. Mr. Voley turned down the offer of Dennis's rake, then snapped the tool, was offered again. Ten minutes later, the court was told. He thought the incident would be dealt with at site level. 
When three months later he was invited to an interview at Whitney Police Station, he answered questions without, without a solicitor present, as he felt he had nothing to hide. District Judge Kamlesh Rana dismissed an allegation of possession of an offensive weapon, the spirit level, in a public place, as the building site was not open to the public. But she found Dennis guilty of causing actual bodily harm. She described the defendant's account as implausible and unreliable. I find it difficult to accept a man of your stature was able to push a man of Mr. Voley's stature with such force. He was bailed to return to court for sentence on September the 13th. Quilt marking U3A's anniversary unveiled in the Blanket Hall. Members of U3A can see a special quilt celebrating the movement's 40th anniversary at its new temporary home at the Whitney Blanket Hall. Some 40 blocks make up the quilt, all made by U3A members and groups as part of a national competition. The best quilted squares were selected by Stuart Hilliard from TV's Great British Sewing Bee, and of the 40 selected from all over the country, three were made by Whitney U3A members. The quilt was first revealed in Manchester earlier this year after a countdown on social media revealing each winning quilt block. The historic Whitney Blanket Hall will host the quilt for a year where U3A members and groups can visit it and see it face to face. The Whitney branch unveiled the piece to an audience of U3A representatives, including Sam Monger, CEO of Third Age Trust, Michaela Moody, Vice Chair of the Third Age Trust, and representatives from local U3As, as well as four honorary Whitney members, some of them founder members in 1985. Jane Clark and Anne Francis, who created the winning Whitney entries, gave a talk on their inspiration. A cake with an image of the quilt was cut out by Susie Berry, trustee of the U3A South East Region. The Blanket Hall is open Wednesday to Saturday, 10am to 5pm. For more details about the U3A, email infowhitneyu3a at gmail.com or call 077325970087. And I have two further pieces of brief news. Full-time mother found unresponsive at home. A woman was found unresponsive at her home in Chipping Norton, an inquest has heard. Hasini Kokulavasan was taken to the John Ratcliffe Hospital after she was found by her husband in the house they shared in Haley Road on July 22nd. Opening the inquest last week, Senior Coroner for Oxfordshire, Darren Salter, said the 36-year-old full-time mother was reported to have taken a likely overdose of prescribed medication. The formal cause of death remained under investigation, but Mr Salter said a full inquest will take place on December the 13th. And second, Festival Helps Mind Cause. More than 500 customers enjoyed 12 hours of live music and helped raise money for Oxfordshire Mind. 
the fourth Queen's Fest at the Queen's Head in Ensham raised £2,100 for the charity with bands, foods and festivities. Bands performing included Danny Mellon and the band and Johnny Berry and the band, plus Quartermelon, Double Parked, Lee Gilbert, Weinstein and many more. Landlord Mark Crocker said all the bands were incredible and it was a huge success. He added, one in four people will experience a mental health problem in any one year and our aim is to raise as much money as possible for this brilliant charity. We have chosen to raise funds for Oxfordshire Mind as our community has been hugely affected by the tragic events of mental health. Choose charities for £128,000 giveaway. The Whitney Gazette is giving local charities the chance of a share of £128,000 giveaway. Our parent company's charitable arm, the Gannett Foundation, is providing £128,000 to support charities across the country and the Gazette, together with our sister paper, the Oxford Mail, is delighted to have a £16,000 share to give away in our area. And we want you to decide where this money should be spent. We are asking readers to nominate their favourite local charities. It could be that you volunteer or work for a charity, or you might just want to support your favourite cause by nominating it for a share of our £16,000 pot. Regional editor Andrew Colley said, We know the last year has been tough for people right across our community, and now is the time to give back. Every day we get to hear of the amazing work Oxfordshire charities do for people in all walks of life. By nominating and then casting your votes over the next couple of weeks, you can help make a real difference. This is a great initiative and one I'd encourage you to get behind. If you know a local charity that you think is deserving, then please let us know. Making a nomination could not be easier. Log on to www.oxfordmail.co.uk slash readers choice and fill in your nomination form. Or you can write to us confirming the name and address of the charity you'd like to nominate and why to Readers Choice Cash for Charity Nominations. Newsquest Midlands, Redhill House, 227 London Road, Worcester, WR5 2JG, by the closing date of Sunday, September the 11th, 2022. Our editor will select 10 of the most deserving charities to be featured. We're then going to put the power to allocate the cash back into your hands. For four weeks, readers will be invited to collect tokens from our newspapers, which can be sent to collection points across our region or posted. Each token will be used to allocate cash to the nominated charity. So if your favourite collects 50% of all tokens collected it will receive 50% of the £16,000. In 2021, two Oxfordshire charities received money from the giveaway. 
funds were divided between Seesaw, which received £4,305.12, and Asylum Welcome, which got £1,212.12. Seesaw in Oxford provides support for children, young people and their families when they have been bereaved or somebody close is terminally ill. At the time, Judith Mulligan, director of Seesaw, said, £4,305.12 is a very generous amount of money and a lovely early Christmas present for us. It has been such a tough year for everyone, and so many people have experienced the death of a loved one this year. The families we support have grieved for people they love, often in isolation, when lockdown restrictions were in place. We have continued to provide our service online, by phone and in person when permitted, because it is important for bereaved families to know they are not alone. We would like to thank everyone who voted for us and who supports our work, and our thanks to the Gannett Foundation for their support of local charities. We will put the award to very good use, providing grief support for children and young people throughout Oxfordshire in the new year. Asylum Welcome offers information, advice and practical support to asylum seekers, refugees and vulnerable migrants living in Oxfordshire. Speaking last year, Director Mark Goldring said, We appreciate the generosity of the donors and the male's readers. The grant will help us support the newly arrived Afghan families staying in Oxfordshire over the holiday period Make sure the children have outings and presents and help everyone to continue to learn English and prepare for life and work in the UK. Now for this week's Editor's Reflection, I'm taking something from the writings of the retired schools inspector Gervais Finn, who is a great advocate of drama in schools and thinks that every child should be encouraged to take part in a school production. And here are some examples from the many productions that he witnessed. Firstly, the part of Fagan and the school production of the musical Oliver was taken by the deputy head teacher, a talented actor and someone with a great sense of humour. The problem for the producer was that he wouldn't learn his lines and frequently went off script, adding asides and making comments. This threw some of the other actors who waited nervously for their cues. On the last night, Fagan was encouraged to ad-lib by a large woman in the front row with a loud and infectious laugh. She too was wont to add to the drama. After young Oliver sang sang the heartfelt Where is Love, she said rather volubly, Ah, bless him. And when Bill Sykes hit Nancy, she could be heard saying, My goodness, the brute! The deputy head, Fagan, sang the final number, I'm reviewing the situation. He then looked at the woman in the front row and said, Could you take on a dirty old man? I've got one love, she she said, and he's sitting next to me. And the next story that he says... Uh, talks about is is uh, um, that he directed the comic opera The Pirates of Penzance in an inner-city multiracial school. 
and in one of the scenes, the Major General enters the stage surrounded by his many daughters. The girls playing the parts of the daughters were from many different cultures and backgrounds, Indian, Pakistani, Chinese, Polish and Nepalese. One parent sitting in the front row and observing the great variety of ethnicity remarked rather loudly, he's been putting it about a bit. And next, I observed the rehearsal for the school play in a Roman Catholic primary school. The play was to tell the story of St John the Baptist. The teacher producing the drama was in full flow when I entered the hall. On stage, a large, shaven-headed boy holding a paper crown and a large plastic sword was staring impassively at the teacher. Now, Herod, said the teacher, when Salome brings in John the Baptist's head, you look very sad. You really didn't want to have him killed. You had to keep your promise to Salome that she could have anything she wanted. The teacher caught, sort of a, caught sight of a small boy at the side of the hall holding a large paper mache dish. John, she said irritably, where's the head? Pardon, miss? asked the child. Where is John the Baptist's head? It should be on the platter. I haven't got it, miss, replied the child. No one's given it to me. Peter, the teacher instructed another child, Go to the staff room and fetch the bleeding head. The boy returned moments later with the head teacher. And finally, in one school production of A Midsummer Night's Dream, the boy playing his part of Bottom displayed remarkable aplomb when the stage set collapsed behind him. As the other young actors froze and the audience laughed, he took centre stage and announced... Prithee, look at you for this, forsooth. The wall has collapseth. Then, in an aside, he added, Zounds, that's the trouble when thou employeth cowboy builders. So, examples of Gervais Finn's humour. Um, and now it's time for this week's notice board and this week's quiz. Uh, first of all, from our notice board, we've got one birthday that's occurring in the coming week, and that's to be on the 24th of August, when it's Maggie Cole of Ensham, and we wish you a very happy day. And now let's go for our quiz, and we begin, as usual, with the answers to last week's quiz uh, that were set by Alan, and he says that they were all about water. And the first... Question was, a temperature record for Britain was set in July. Which mark did the mercury pass for the first time in recorded history? Any answers? 40, de 40 degrees centigrade, to be precise. Celsius. Celsius, yes. Uh, and that was on July the 18th at Heathrow. And the second question... A hose pipe ban is likely in our region by the month's end. Well, it's due for next week, isn't it? And to the nearest 10 litres, how much water does a hose pipe use per hour when the tap is turned on fully? Blank. A thousand litres per hour. 
which is the equivalent of 12 bathfuls. There you go, I never knew that. Question three. The summer of 1976, and we all remember that, is widely regarded as the hottest and driest in living memory. But in fact, there has been a hotter and drier August since then. Can you recall when? 1984. 1995, apparently. Question four. According to Thames Water... The supplier in this region, what, what, is the, what is the number one thing most people can do to save water? Stop polluting. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, to avoid baths and limit showers to a minimum of four minutes. And question five, finally, half the Earth's surface is covered with water, but what percentage of that vast amount of water is drinkable if your answer is within 10% of the correct answer you can give yourself a point and uh, the answer is that 90% of the earth's water is salty or otherwise undrinkable there you go makes you think doesn't it right questions this week rather different um and uh, here we go. Question number one. Who created Winnie the Pooh? Answers next week, by the way, not now. And question two. In which modern country was Christopher Columbus born? Question three. Which town is the administrative centre for the Open University. Question four. In the United States, how many cents make a dime? And finally, what is the official residence of the Lord Mayor of London? Answers next week. And finally, we have to announce the deaths which are recorded in the Whitney Gazette in this week's edition. And so we are sad to announce the following deaths. On the 20th of July, Geoffrey Victor Rigsby, who is aged 81. On the 8th of August, Iris Lydia Timms of Leafield and Jim Ager, aged 89, formerly from Astle Lee. And finally, on the 10th of August, Lawrence Footner at the Richard uh, at the Richmond Care Home in Whitney, who is aged 87. And of course, our sincere condolences to all family and friends of the deceased. And that ends this week's notices. Proposal for solar farm withdrawn. Plans for a solar farm across 27 acres of West Oxfordshire land near the village of Ramson have been withdrawn for now. An action group and hundreds of people came together to campaign against plans for the energy facility. The plans have been recommended for refusal by this week's West Oxfordshire District Council's planning committee meeting. British Solar Renewables, BSR, 
applied to build a solar scheme and energy storage unit on five fields at Aikman Street. The site was 45 acres, uh, uh, 45 hectares, which is 110 acres, and it said solar panels would cover 11 hectares, 27 acres of it. The company initially planned a generating capacity of up to 20 megawatts with 1.5 megawatts battery energy storage unit. Colin Ramsey, development director at BSR Energy, said it would, be, it would resubmit a redesigned scheme later this year. He said, we've listened closely to the feedback we've received from West Oxfordshire District Council and from local residents. In order for us to make a number of necessary amendments to our proposal, it makes sense to withdraw our existing application for Aikman Solar Park. But he added, it is clear that we have to change the way we get our energy to meet the challenge of reducing carbon emissions. This, therefore, remains a very important application for the district and the country and we look forward to resubmitting an improved planning application later this year. Solar Park Action Group, SPAG, made up of residents of the villages of Ramsden and Delhi End, walkers, riders and cyclists fought the scheme on the grounds it would affect the views and the character of the village and nearby area of outstanding natural beauty. AONB, plus its impact on ecology, highways and archaeology. Ramsden Parish Council and CPRE West Oxfordshire objected and Whitney Flood Mitigation Group said alterations have already taken place that affect flood risk in the Windrush and therefore Whitney and and therefore must be reversed. It added... We are particularly against the trench that has been excavated at the proposed solar farm. The original watercourse and drainage for the site have already been altered, intercepting existing system which connected drainage to the even load. The trench now diverts all the flow towards Delhi End and on to Crawley, where properties get flooded in both locations and water ends up in the windrush. Planning officers have recommended refusal on the grounds it would significantly harm the appearance and character of the landscape and setting of the Cotswolds AONB. Kittens make debut at Wildlife Park. Cotswold Wildlife Park's rare Pelé's cat kittens have made their debut on International Cat Day. The park's breeding pair of majestic Palace cats, Tull and Penelope, have produced their first litter at the attraction. In the wild, their breeding season is short due to the extreme climate in their native range of Central Asia. Ostrus, the reproductive cycle, similar to the menstrual cycle, lasts only between 26 and 42 hours, which is considered shorter than many other species of cats. Births in captivity are rare. Only four other European zoological collections have successfully bred the species in the last 12 months.
Regular visitor Stephen Woodham took photographs after waiting for the moment the kittens began exploring their new home. Their shy nature in the wild means there is very little known about these creatures. German naturalist Peter Simon Pallas originally classified the cat as Feli Manuel in 1776. The word manual has its roots in the Mongolian language. Its current scientific name, Octocolobus manual, comes from the Greek language and can be translated to ugly-eared. Owls make dream come true. A pensioner who had always wanted to see an owl up close had a hoot when feathered friends visited her care home. Lifelong animal lover Joan Reeves, 88, was able to give Acorn a tawny owl and Nellie, a barn owl, a soft landing on her arm during the visit to Care UK's Miller's Grange in Kerbridge Road, Whitney. The birds, brought by Chrissy's Owls, a sanctuary in Stonefield, are friendly, relaxed creatures used to humans. Mrs Reeves said, It was lovely to see the owls. They are such majestic animals. I loved meeting Acorn and Nellie, and it was beautiful to be able to get a hold of Acorn. It's definitely made my day. The visit was part of the Home's Wishing Tree initiative, where residents can put wishes forwards, perhaps allowing them to reconnect with a past hobby or try something new, and staff will try and make it come true. Mark Young, Customer Relations Manager at Miller's Grange, said, We are always seeking new and exciting activities for residents to enjoy. Animal therapy has proven to be incredibly beneficial for older people as it can prompt conversations and have a calming effect. Keen cyclists will ride across Britain for Sue Rider Charity. Keen cyclists Paul Humphrey and Tim Wilson are undertaking the arduous Ride Across Britain Challenge for the Sue Rider Charity. It's a nine-day, 980-mile cycle from Land's End to John O'Groats next month, in which they will raise funds for the Sue Rider Palliative Care Hub, South Oxfordshire. The duo from UL near Wallingford will be joined by about 900 other cyclists who will all keep each other's spirits high to reach the finish line at the top of Scotland. The pair signed up for the Mammoth Bike Ride over a year ago and have been building up their training ever since, regularly cycling four times a week through a variety of routes and weather conditions, even in the depths of winter. As time has passed, their routes have become steeper and longer in preparation for the challenge and the longest route they have taken so far is 200 kilometres. Mr Humphrey, 62, said, We both enjoy cycling, but this is by far the biggest challenge we've ever done. Each day of the event we'll be cycling a 100 miles at least. During training we can easily cover that distance in one go, but doing it nine times in a row is going to be a very different story. As both cyclists have a strong connection to the health sector, Mr Wilson, 60, working as a doctor, and Mr Humphrey, previously working in pharmaceuticals, they were keen to support a health care charity. Living in New Elm, 
close to Sue Ryder Palliative Care Hub South Oxfordshire in Wallingford, and knowing the work the team does there to provide end-of-life care to those who need it locally, the charity was an obvious choice for both of them. Mr Humphrey said, We wanted to pick a cause that was local to us and something which people could identify with locally. Sue Ryder Palliative Care Hub South Oxfordshire has touched many people's hearts and provides a very valuable service to the community. We're delighted to be supporting them in this way. Megan Bentley, community fundraiser at Sue Ryder Palliative Care Hub South Oxfordshire, said, We're incredibly grateful to Paul and Tim for choosing to take on this impressive challenge to support us. As a charity, we're reliant on generous supporters, donating and fundraising, which helps us to be there when it matters for people going through the most difficult times of their lives. Good luck, Paul and Tim. We're behind you both all the way to John O'Groats. Paul and Tim hope to raise a total of £4,000. To donate to their fundraising total, visit justgiving.com slash fundraising slash Paul dash Tim. For more information on Sue Ryder Palliative Care Hub South Oxfordshire, visit suerider.org slash South Ox. And our next item is headed Transplant Games up to starting line. The European Transplant and Dialysis Games, about which we heard in an earlier article, will begin in Oxford this weekend. Games organisers are preparing to host the best gathering of the transplant community yet. Over 400 transplant recipients and dialysis patients are set to travel from over 25 countries across Europe to compete in sporting events, including everything from football and volleyball to discus and petanque. Team Great Britain and Northern Ireland is the largest team taking part, with 186 competitors from across the UK, including 12 dialysis patients and three donors. The Games will begin on Sunday with a spectacular athlete parade around the iconic Sheldonian Theatre and an opening ceremony inside. The events will take place across the week at venues including Radley College and Blenheim Palace. Other highlights include a football tournament at Radley College, cycling road race and a time trial in the grounds of Blenheim Palace and social events including a sing-along screening of Mamma Mia and a party boat flotilla down Oxford's waterways and a glittering gala ball to finish the week. Charity Transplant Sport, which organised the event, was founded in 1978 by Maurice Slapak, a consultant surgeon who brought together his patients and other transplant recipients to hold the first transplant games in Portsmouth. Hope Walk for Albie. A couple grieving for their two-year-old son, lost to a brain tumour last year, are organising a walk of hope in his memory to help find a cure for the disease. Albie Bayliss Watts from Didcot was diagnosed with an aggressive brain tumour when he was just 18 months old, after having a seizure out of the blue. He endured surgery and gruelling chemotherapy, but it was not enough to halt the progress of his non-classifiable brain tumour 
and he died on November the 28th, less than a year after diagnosis. Now his mums, Lauren and Haley Bailey's Watts, who have set up a fundraising group known as the Albi and Beyond under the umbrella of the charity Brain Tumor Research, are stepping up to hold their own fundraising walk. The five-and-a-half-mile route will start at 2pm on Saturday, September the 24th, from the Royal Oak in Didcot. Well, that's all we've got time for this week, so please remove the memory stick from the playback unit and close that metal shield. And do remember to reverse the plastic address label on the yellow pouch before you post it back to us and if you could do that as soon as possible because we sometimes run out of labels and pouches and are then unable to continue our service to you and do remember that if you want to contact us at all just leave a slip of paper in your pouch and then we'll get back to you now it only remains for me to thank the Whitney Gazette for the stories we've used tonight and thanks also to our technical expert, Rob Oxpring, and to our copiers, Ian Rose and Mike Herbert. And they've been copying the memory sticks, and then to our volunteers, who have been checking the pouches and the memory sticks that you've returned, and keeping records in our register. And this week they were Anne Crawford and Doreen Turner. And finally, our readers for this evening, they were... Mike, Nigel, Gavin, Anne and Bridget. And I know we'd all like to say goodbye. And until our next time, goodbye. NF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello to you all. This is John from Otley Talking News, selecting and reading my choice of audio described television programmes for the week commencing Saturday the 20th of August and ending on Friday the 26th of August, which I hope you find something of interest. So, starting with Saturday the 20th, on BBC One at 11.30am, is Nigella at my table. Nigella makes a toasted brie, parma ham and fig sandwich. The final part of Jeremy Pang's Asian Kitchen is on ITV at 11.35am. The chef creates recipes for comfort eating. Jamie Oliver Together is on Channel 4 at 12.30. The chef prepares a rolled shoulder of lamb with fennel, sage and spicy sausage stuffing. On ITV at 12.35, James Martin's American Adventure continues as the chef reaches New Orleans. There are two episodes of Superman and Lois on BBC One at 5.15. In the first part, Superman pleads for the investigation of Ali Alston. And in the second part, Lois, Clark and Natalie all notice a difference in John Henry's behaviour. The Bond film The World Is Not Enough is on ITV at 8pm. James becomes the bodyguard to Elektra. Also at 8, but on Channel 4, Written by Beach. Anita Varney discovers the remarkable secret history of our nation's beaches. Casualties on BBC One at 8.30. Charlie returns from his holiday in an optimistic mood. But with the ED backing up, how long will it last? 
This is followed, still on BBC One, at 9.20 by part two of The Secret She Keeps. Agatha tries to ensure her pregnancy is safe from her enemies. So now, what's on on Sunday the 21st? You could start early at 9am on BBC Two by exploring Cornwall, from the Tamar to Tintagel, in Coast Great Guides. There are homes under the hammer at 11am on BBC One, followed by Bargain Hunt at 12 noon. The afternoon film on ITV is Marley and Me, that starts at 5 past 2. A golden Labrador teaches a married couple some lessons. This is followed by another Bond film, still on ITV, at 4.20pm. Diamonds are forever. James is sent to South Africa to investigate the large amount of diamonds being smuggled out of the country. At 5.35 on BBC One, there's Seven Worlds, One Planet. The crowded continent of Europe has surprising animals in pockets of wilderness. It's the final episode of this series of Van der Volk on ITV at 8. A classical musician is the victim of an acid attack and dies as a result. Could this be related to the stalker she claimed had been following her? Part 3 of Marriage is on BBC One at 9. Emma attends a conference and Ian wonders what she's doing. Also at 9, but on Channel 4, is a new series, Investigating Diana, Death in Paris. Was Princess Diana's death in 1997 a simple car accident, or was she killed by the British establishment? Now look at the programmes on at the same time each weekday. Fraud Squad is on at 10.30am, Homes Under the Hammer at 11.15am, Bargain Hunt at 12.15 and Escape to the Country at 3pm are all on BBC One. Dickinson's Real Deal is on ITV at 2. Heartbeat is on ITV 3 at 7pm on Monday and Tuesday, then at 5.55 on Wednesday, then it settles at 6pm for the rest of the week. All the soaps are on their usual channels at their usual times. Looking now at programmes on Monday the 22nd of August. Superfast Falcon on BBC Two at 1.30pm. The programme follows a young peregrine falcon family in Chicago. It's the final part of Marriage at 9pm on BBC One. Jessica helps Ian tackle a difficult job and the pair end up reminiscing. Long Last Family, What Happened Next is on ITV at 9. Since retired footballer Dominic Matteo was reunited with his birth mother and they got to know each other better, they have noticed a startling series of coincidences. This programme is repeated on Thursday at 10.45pm. It's also the second part of Investigating Diana, Death in Paris at 9pm on Channel 4. The French investigation concludes that Diana and Dodie's death was due to an accident, but in Britain there are calls for an independent inquiry. The Radio Times choice of the day is on Channel 4 at 10pm. Disability and abortion, the hardest choice. Actors Ruth Maidley, who has Barna Bifida, and Ruben Reuter, who has Down syndrome, asks if the law is fit for purpose regarding disability and abortion. They also explore how people with disabilities are viewed in society. Now on to Tuesday 23rd. There's a new series of Fake or Fortune on BBC One at 8. Fiona Bruce and Philip Mould investigate the authenticity of a possible Ben Nicholson abstract painting but it's been painted on the wall of a house in Surrey. If it is genuine, can it be safely detached from the wall? Or on BBC One at 8pm, The Hotel People. This observational documentary series follows the Hastings Hotels, 
one of Northern Ireland's most prestigious chains. Celebrity MasterChef continues on BBC One at Nine. Five new celebrities enter the kitchen and have to make a dish around a mystery ingredient found under a cloche. Secrets of the Spies concludes on ITV at 9pm. The art of disinformation and how it's deployed to deceive the enemy. Also at 9 there's Night Coppers on Channel 4. PC Jack is called to help a young woman whose drink has been spiked. And PCs Amelia and Craig deal with a mass brawl outside a pub, only to be accused of ruining the main suspect's life. Also, nine, but on BBC Two, there's some natural history. Lion, the rise and fall of the Marsh Pride. A view of the most filmed pride of lions on Earth, the Marsh Pride. They have been filmed over the last 40 years. Tonight's programme gives an overview of the life of that pride over all that time. At 10 on Channel 4 is Rosie Jones' Trip Hazard. In this new series, the writer and comedian resumes her quest for excitement, adventure and silliness taking on a variety of challenges with A.J. Odudu, crossing Scotland with the final goal to reach the summit of Cairngorm in one piece. On to Wednesday 24th, and let's start at 8pm on BBC4 with South Pacific. Much of this remote blue wilderness is virtual marine desert, but New Zealand's super-rich coast supports huge pods of acrobatic dolphins. At 9 on Channel 4... The Accused, National Treasures on Trial. Sir Cliff Richard, DJ Paul Gambaccini and former pop idol judge Neil Fox reveal the personal impact of facing accusations but never being arrested, charged or convicted. Also at nine but on ITV, Heathrow, Britain's busiest airport, concludes this run with the super jumbo jet, the A380, having a delay getting passengers off the top deck due to an air bridge technical fault so possibly disrupting the tight time schedule. The Great continues on Channel 4 at 10. A crocodile roams the court, and Archie sends everyone into uproar by suggesting it might be an omen against Catherine's leadership. Finally for Wednesday, DNA Journey on ITV at 10.45pm. Dame Maureen Lippmann and Ruler Lenska research their ancestors. While Ruler's people were Polish aristocracy, a Maureen is from whole tradesfolk. They find they are more closely connected than they ever imagined. Thursday 25th. Celebrity MasterChef continues at 8 on BBC One. The four remaining chefs face a daunting knowledge and skills test as they make crepe Suzette in 20 minutes. There's a new series of Saving Lives at Sea on BBC Two at 8. In The Race Against Time... The RNI crew at Newhaven attempt on Christmas Eve to rescue two paragliders, and in Great Yarmouth, a cat falls into the River Yare, sparking a media frenzy. If you're interested in car restoration, then on the Yesterday Channel at 8pm, in Bangers and Cash Restoring Classics, the team tackle a 1979 Lotus Esprit S3. This is followed on BBC Two at 9 with All That Glitters. Britain's Next Jewellery Star. In this new series, and from a workshop in Birmingham's Jewellery Quarter, each week the contestants have to create the best-seller, hopefully the latest and must-have piece, and the bestoke, making jewellery for VIP guests. Also at nine, but on Channel 4, Football Dreams The Academy. The under-16s face the Academy's toughest season, 
In four months' time, their futures will be decided and they will either be offered a paid contract or they will be released. Finally to Friday 26th of August, This Is My House is on BBC One at 8.30pm. The panellists try to find the real owner, Ellie, of a two-bedroom former council flat in Pollock Shields in Glasgow. There's another quarter-final of Celebrity Masterchef on BBC One at 9. The contestants cook a faultless two-course meal that will be judged by previous finalists. The current series of Sanderton concludes on ITV at 9. Alison prepares to leave while Charlotte considers what her future may look like at Hayrick Park. The late film on ITV at 10.45pm is 21 Jump Street, which is the Radio Times film of the day. Underachieving rookie cops are sent back to their old high school to infiltrate a drugs ring. Unfortunately, they don't blend in quite as well as hoped. I hope you find something of interest in my selection this week. TNF Soundings 